the, the biggest difference between his first Masters and the most recent was the hairline. And I think he needs to go to Sport Clips. He <laughs> needs to ask for the Davis Sanchez. Get the baldy. It'll be fine, Tiger. You're wearing hat most of the time anyways. You are now listening to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome to The Waggle podcast brought to you by CFL.ca, obviously brought to you by our friends at Sport Clips and brought to you by myself, Donovan Bennett, and my friend, Davis Sanchez. Chesy, how are you? Tiger mania. I know, right? Like, we are... 48 hours removed from him putting on a green jacket and still dominating Twitter. This is a football podcast. We are football guys, but we are sports fans first and foremost. When you saw Tiger back on the prowl, marching up 18, looking to seal the deal. Did you have that written? The Tiger on the prowl thing? Or is that just come to your head? No, this is just what I do. I'm I'm a trained broadcast professional. Um, what was your reaction to seeing him back in contention and, and dominating Twitter once again? I knew I wanted Tiger to, to win tournaments over the last, what's it, 12 years. I, I'm a Tiger fan. I, I wanted Tiger to win. Uh, the comeback story is great. But I don't think I realized um, how much uh, I did want him to win or how much his – redemption means to everybody, including myself, I think. I mean, the one thing that anybody who had that big of a gap between uh, major, major wins, it was 12 years, I guess, 2008 was the last time he won a major. Anyone who had that big of a gap, I think we'd all naturally uh, be drawn to uh, cheer for them, root for them, especially an older guy that's been through what Tiger's been through. I think the biggest, the biggest thing, though, is that the greatness, the fact that he's, uh, you know, one of the greatest athletes ever, um, that he's that he's that he's been so great, and that I think we've kind of we're drawn into that greatness. So we all kind of wanted to see that greatness come back through, shine back through. So I think that was the the thing, and it found I found myself, like I said, not realizing how much I, I how emotional it was going to be, and and I think that. Uh, Watching him as it got down to you know fifteen, sixteen through eighteen, there it got pretty, it got pretty emotional. So you mentioned it's first major in over a decade, it's fifth Masters title that he gets by one stroke, fifteenth major and his first Masters since two thousand and five. But the interesting thing, and I think why a lot of other athletes were tweeting at him and congratulating him, is that. Tiger was the first athlete to really play golf. He attacked it not like it was a hobby. He attacked it like it was a sport, like it was a high-intensity sport, brought weight training to it. And so other John athletes... John Daly didn't? N- no, not in the same way. He was just gripping it and ripping it. Um, Tiger w- was throwing around some weights. And so other athletes, and if we're talking about us as football dudes, we appreciated that. My guy, you know, he looked like an athlete. He looked like he could play another sport. But on the flip side is, you know, in intense sporting environments, you have intense sporting injuries. And so the fact that he had multiple knee surgeries, multiple back surgeries to get to this point is what I was struck by. Is how how much he had to climb just Been to get back... Lot. 
just to be able to walk, never mind walk 18 holes four days in a row and compete at a high level. From that standpoint, all the great athletes you've been around, have you seen anything comparable in terms of an athlete overcoming physical ailments to get back to their, their level of greatness? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer off the top of my head. I don't have an answer off the top of my head of, of someone. Do, do you? No, I mean, I think, I guess Lule would be the person who comes to mind. He didn't have the storybook ending that the Tiger has. I mean, it's, it, Tiger's clearly not done. Um, but he, he never got that final redemptive moment where he could kind of walk away on his terms without a limp, walk away physically on his terms and not go back to the locker room, you know, hurt and upset and frustrated. Uh, but I, I think the really the answer is no. I think that's what makes the Tiger story so <laughs> the special. This riddle, the answer to this riddle is think all you want, you're not going to find it. Well, I think yeah. that's what made it unique is that um, Tiger at the best of times, he defined what was supposed to be impossible and made it possible. You're not, you're not supposed to be um, you know, a, a minority kid uh, in the United States whose dad basically taught you the sport uh, by reading books and you get a scholarship to Stanford and is the best NCAA player. And then right away you just roll into Augusta and the masters. Literally it's called the masters because white people were masters over black people and black people weren't allowed in the club and you, you dominate the tournament and, and set records. Like, this was, this is actually, there's goes back and that's where they got the name masters from. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, yeah, there was... I'm going fuzz- to stop watching it. Fuzzy's, <laughs> Unless fuzzy. Tiger's in contention. Right. Fuzzy Zeller, uh, you know, made the the joke early in Tiger's career. Because um, after you win the Masters, you set the menu for the dinner the next year. And he kind of made the joke that, you know, are they going to serve collard greens? And um, and, and obviously the, the sport has such a, a troubled racial history and a a troubled gender history when we talk about the fact that women are not allowed in many clubs that that have um, big PGA events happening at them. And uh, the Masters was one of those clubs where women were not allowed membership. So the the fact that his story is not just a a comeback story, it's a human interest story. And the fact that, you know, he hugs his son and it's almost like, photographically the same look as him hugging his dad um you know over a decade prior when he won his first and obviously his dad's not here anymore uh that was that was a pretty cool scene and it was cool for me to see you know football players football media all tweeting about it uh on the weekend were you emotional no no listen uh tiger made 22 million dollars for nike that day with exposure I'm not seeing any of that bread. I, would, I, I shed a tear. I can't lie. One of my, one of my, one of my buddies messaged me, and he said, uh, he said uh, I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit hungover right now, <laughs> but I just felt myself shed a tear. And I, I started laughing and messaged him back and sent a picture of me with my eyes red laying on my couch and, and watching it. I did, also, I did also shed a bit of a tear. So I don't know if it's... If it's because it's two things. One, I think I was a little hungover on the couch, 
from all the sporting, uh, what I was enjoying the day, day before, I might have enjoyed a little too much. And then, uh, but more, uh, I just feel like that, you know, the everything that Tiger's been through, and, and I can't say, I can't say that I know what he's been through, but I have a pretty good idea. I mean, and all the pressure on him, you know, the from being at the top and being great to being, you know, publicly shamed for some of his personal stuff and then not being able to get back to where he was from a professional level. I mean, it's all that emotion had to rush to him when he hugged his, his mother and his his son and daughter, his girlfriend. That's that, uh, yeah. What we've learned is that you are much more in tune with your emotions than Soft I am. Soft like porridge. No, 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 no. Is that what you're going to say? DJ? No, not at all. Uh, maybe I have like a mental block. I, mean, I probably need some therapy. You were on your couch, probably put a dent in it because there's so much great sports right now. It's a crazy time of the year in sports, not just the international draft and the CFL. You've got the Masters. You've got the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs. The J season has started, and we probably don't want to talk about it because it hasn't started that well. Uh, TFC and, and MLS in uh, the in the in the Whitecaps uh, are, are playing, um, as are the Montreal Impact in, in soccer. So much for Canadians to consume. And when you have a weekend like I did where you're literally putting a dent in your couch watching so much sports, don't fret. If you want to get cleaned up, you can go to Sport Clips, watch all the, the sports you want, and get a nice massage of that neck, get that that beard trim. hot steam towel. The steam towel. That's you know, my get, joint Get right a fade, there. whether you're number one, number two. Uh, someone who's not a number one or a number two is Tiger Woods. He needs to come on home because the the biggest difference between his first Masters and the most recent was the hairline. And I think he needs to go to Sport Clips. He <laughs> needs to ask for the Davis Sanchez. Get the baldy. It'll be fine, Tiger. You're wearing a hat most of the time anyways. Tiger, what you need to do is get online. Go to sportclips.ca because, I mean, I, I know you, you just won the tournament. But everybody likes free. Everybody likes free. Go and get that, that free haircut on us. Go to cfl.ca slash waggle. Uh, don't double dip, Tiger, though. First time customers only. Uh, and you can get that fresh cut courtesy of Sport Clips because I understand he's had a stressful four, five, six years. But he, he's not going straight to the pin with the hairline. He's, he's in the rough for real. Um, an organization that was in the rough, but now they are they are laying up in two, the Ottawa Red Blacks. And I feel like this has become an Ottawa Red Blacks support group. I feel like almost every week we were talking about them some type of way. Well, they are going to be calling plays by committee. They, it's they, slow. It's been, DJ, it's been a little bit of a slow. I'll say that it's been a, a busy offseason with all the news. Mm-hmm. With we got we got CBA, we have obviously all the 2.0 stuff, uh, the biggest free agency in 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 a couple of decades probably maybe ever in the CFL. So sure. it feels like it's been a busy for off season, but it's kind of, the last month here it has it has felt like it slowed down a bit. And you, to your point, the Red Blacks are uh, taking taking over the uh, taking over the headlines once once again by announcing. 
announcing that Joe Pow Pow, the throwing Samoan, is back in the <laughs> back in the building. Yeah, it's uh, were you surprised by that by that announcement, uh, or or at least how they're gonna go about the OC duties? I was a little bit, even though I think it's a very smart decision. I was surprised just because Joe Joe Pow Pow was a bit off my radar, and so. For those who don't know, he's been added to the offensive staff as the running backs coach officially. Uh, John McDonnell remains the offensive line coach. Winston October uh, is their receivers coach, and he will will be part of the process of calling plays. Uh, and then Bo Walker moves from just an offensive assistant to a quarterbacks coach specifically. And all of that is because we've talked about Jamie Elizondo resigned pretty late to take a job with Mark Trestman uh, in the XFL with the Tampa Bay franchise. So I'm not telling any tales out of school. A running backs coach is basically someone who babysits the running backs during the individual period because the individual period for the running backs doesn't really mean much. I don't think Joe Pow Pow is coming out of semi-retirement to teach the running backs five points of pressure. Why is he coming out? Why would they hire him for this job then, DJ? Because. The running back job in, in particular. Well, I just think it's an easy job to work someone into your staff quickly and then allow them to basically get their feet wet with the personnel, uh, with the other staff, with the league again, because he's been out of it for a little bit. But remember what Rick Campbell said when it, in terms of who is going to be leading this offense. Someone who is a quarterback guru. Who on that staff is a quarterback guru? Joe Pau Joe Pau okay, So I think you can't call plays by committee. That's, you, you, you don't have enough time in the, in the CFL. A true committee. USC, when they had Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, they could call plays by committee because they had – all the time in the world, and they had more talent than everybody else. So no matter what play they called, it probably was going to work. Reggie Bush was going to make a bad play call a good play. Lendell White, the same. And the CFL, with sub-packages the way they are, with a, with the play clock the way it is, one guy is calling the plays. You can put a plan together by committee, but... You're not going to have someone say, okay, well, you handle the run game, I handle the pass game, or you handle the packages, and I handle the actual play call and communicating it. One guy has to do that. And I see this as Joe Pow Pow working with October to get him to a point where he can be your play caller moving forward. They're talking about a plan so that by the time the games really matter for this team, it's not going to matter who's actually calling the plays because there's a shared understanding of what they want to do and how they want to execute in any moments. Scott Milanovic, whether he was calling plays or not, whether Marcus Brady was saying them or he was, what was called was what he wanted. And I think Joe Powpow is there not just to groom the young quarterbacks on this team. I think he's there to groom the young offensive coaches on this team. <clears throat> I agree with you, and that that goes to why hiring Joe, who you would almost, I think we f see it the same way, almost see Joe as a consultant here, and that's why you give him the title of running backs coach because be during game planning and during practice, sorry, during practice time and during the week, that would be the offensive position coach that would have the least 
amount of duties on the offensive staff, which in turn gives Joe time to work on game planning, scheming, helping with the quarterbacks, helping with Winston October, who's a young coach, a former teammate of mine. We were actually rookies mm-hmm. together, me and Winston October, Montreal in 1999. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's why this makes sense. When I heard Joe Powpow's name as a running back coach, the first thing I thought, Travis Lule is coming to Ottawa, Ricky Ray is coming to Ottawa as the OC mm. right away because that's why you bring in a guy like Joe Powpow. And by the way, we weren't, you said a minute ago that we were, uh, he wasn't on our radar. He was, I, I mentioned Joe Powpow when the first day that, the first day that Jamie Elizondo announced he left, the first pot we did, I, th- I threw Joe's name in the ring there because he has a history in Ottawa. He wasn't employed in the CFL, and he's a guy who everybody loves, respects, and knows the game. So he would be a, a good bridge guy, or he is going to be a good bridge guy, or someone that could help somebody like a Travis Lule, like uh, Ricky Ray, uh, you know, guys like that who will be. I had one other name that 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 was uh, a possible, not not Henry Burris because Henry has too too many other things going on. Not KG. At this point in time, yeah, KG. KG, yeah, as a possible guy, you know, those are guys. Anyway, but yeah, this makes this makes complete sense that you hire Joe. You have a guy who who um, is um, has enough humility to and respect around secure enough in their position and in their football life to be able to uh, not feel threatened and to help a young guy. And I think that it's a good fit. In this situation, DJ, what they've had to endure over the last few weeks and what they're going to have to endure with losing losing Trevor, losing two offensive tackles, losing their running back, losing their OC, all this, you want to bring someone in the building that uh, that keeps, uh, has a calm demeanor, has respected, and if things do go awry, he can kind of, uh, you know, bring people together and, and – uh, and make this transition as as easy as it could possibly be. And when you look on Twitter and and anyone that I've spoken with over the last uh, you know forty eight hours here, uh, nothing but good things to say about the man Joe Powpow. Uh, in my interactions with the coach, I, I've always held him in high regard. Uh, so it's I like the fit. June Jones started as a consultant. He ended up running the team. and It's kind of like you here, actually. When they were going to bring you in, when Seaball left and they were bringing you in, they told me, Davis, don't be threatened. He's not going to take over the pod. He's not going to have his name on a, in big, bright lights. He's just going to come in and consult and help transition it. And what's happened? It's the DJ Bennett show, and uh, I'm okay with it, uh, DJ. But, uh, yeah, it's, when you use the word consultant, be very worried. Be concerned. Uh, well, the, you talk about him not being threatened, I think is important. And I think it's because, let's be honest, what happens with the Red Blacks, it's not going to change his Wikipedia page. It's going to be a footnote in terms of what he's done in the game. So he's not, he's not chasing ghosts in terms of this needs to be done my way, this way. He's just there to help and stay close to the game. And again, let's be honest, is he going to be on that staff in four years, five years? Probably not. So uh, he can have a longer legacy in the game by helping these young coaches, and they kind of be one with him in terms of someone that they can consult with throughout their careers, and they're, they're part of his coaching tree. And I see that's 
if I'm Joe Papo, that's what's in it for me. And I think the same is true for those young quarterbacks. And Davis and Jonathan Jennings, he can say, yo, let's go to the film room. I'm going to show you some film with Kerry Joseph. This is Kerry Joseph when I got him. This is Kerry Joseph by the end of my time working with him, a guy who was the most outstanding player in the league who originally people thought, well, he can't play quarterback, should be a safety. And so, and I would say Jennings is a, is a more natural thrower of the football than Kerry Joseph is. I agree. Um, and so I think he can work with those guys in terms of breaking their bad habits or fundamentals, changing the way they see the game, just changing the, the way they attack defenses and having them be professionals in the, in the building. I mean, if there was one knock on Jennings in his time in BC, and again, you have to consider the source, but it was that he wasn't around enough. He wasn't, he wasn't with me in the gym. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so... Shout out to OBO. Yes, and so I think Joe Pow Pow can can help teach, um, and and build upon the the things that the, Wally had him doing when he was playing well. Is is that is that Meek and Drake? Who is no? It's Ross and Drake, huh? Yeah, yeah. That might be one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite verses ever. Well, I'll tell you who wasn't happy about that verse. Who? Vanessa Bryant. Oh, because <laughs> it was yeah, about yeah, yeah, right. Kobe Bryant. And for those who don't, with me shooting in the gym, right? Yes, I hate it. Had to be him. Um, yes. Yes. yes, shout out to Drake. And for those who don't know, don't worry about it. Um, that's that's why I think th- this is a a smart and good hire, especially given that you know the clock was ticking and the options weren't there. The other reason I really like this hire is if you've seen his offenses, whether it was in the CFL or his U sports offenses when he was recently with the University of Waterloo, there's going to be some tendency breakers. There's going to be some trick plays. There's going to be some things that, as a defensive staff, you have to go over once, twice, three times throughout the week that are taking you away from going over the base things that they do. And also, they're going to put some things on tape That'll maybe change your mind about how you want to cover things. It, it, they may work, they may not. And when you're looking at a too deep offensively that has been depleted and from a talent standpoint, depleted. from what it was last year, you have to manufacture some chunk plays. You have to manufacture some offense. And not only is Joe Powell that way, the other coaches that he's worked with, when they leave him, they're that way. Greg Marshall spent some time with him with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And Greg Marshall, prior, was a pretty conservative play caller. Just, I have more talent, run sweep, let's get 10 yards and call it a day. Afterwards... Is Greg Marshall a defensive guy, naturally? No, he's, he's running back. Guy. He's running back. But he, he, it, he might as well attack the game like a defensive guy. He was like a fullback um, type of mindset. The after he was much more expansive in his play calling, much more expansive in the pass game, but much more expansive in trick plays and tendency breakers and his willingness to use them, not like once a month, 
not once a game, maybe a couple times a game, especially in big games when the margins of winning and losing is so thin that uh, a momentum uh, generating play or a play to flip the field um, is so important. And I think that offense is going to need some creative play calling, and that's something that Joe Pau Pau literally is known for. They're gonna need uh, they're gonna need guys who have been secondary secondary options, uh, guys like uh, Ryan Langford in Winnipeg and Caleb Holly from the Riders. Both came over in free agency, who are now uh, at least temporarily, and actually not even temporarily because. Greg is gone for good, but we'll see what happens with Deontay Spencer. But Langford and Holly now are going to be uh, primaries. So you're going to need guys who have – they obviously signed these guys, Marcel did, because he believes they're talented. And then the uh, same thing with Nate Bahar. I mean, they have Bahar, Holly, Langford, all guys who weren't with the Red Blacks last year, all guys who in their own rights uh, are considered to have potential. Now they're going to be counted on to be primary guys. And that's R.J. Harris as well, who was, came into his own last year as, as, a, as a guy who's – he's going to have his shot to beat that guy along with Brad, obviously. So They're also going to need guys who are not on the team right now, not in the league right now, to be able to play for them. They're going to need guys who come to camp, free agent guys who are going through workouts right now, guys who aren't drafted in the CFL. And another one of Popow's strengths, and it's something you don't lose if you have the eye for it, whether it's him or Don Matthews or Huffnagel, is looking at players, evaluating them at their current situation and how would they assimilate to the CFL game, be able to hit the ground running. Josh Ronick, a little ball of hate. Nobody was watching him at South Dakota State as a jackrabbit. Shout out to the legendary Chris Schultz. The little ball of hate, he coined that one. Did he? Yeah. It's a great nickname because yeah. it, is, it is true. Shout out to the OG Chris Schultz. Um, nobody was saying, man, I think this guy could be you know, an, an every down back in the, in the CFL. Uh, no, no one was looking at him saying, man, the read option game is going to be vicious with him and Kerry Joseph. Joe Powell saw that when no one else did. And I, I think they're going to have to f- figure out who can come to camp learn a playbook quickly, and then compete in a new league quickly because they don't have the this, this, this CFL veterans uh, that other teams have stockpiled through free agency. Noel Thorpe, mm. public service announcement. Noel Thorpe, <laughs> you have been one of the best defensive minds in, in the league over the last five years. You are going to earn your money this year. They're gonna have to, this defense is going to have to carry these guys. Uh, they were good last year, very good, and they're going to have to carry this this offense, I believe, for the first part of the season. Actually, I don't believe. I know for the first part of the season, this defense uh, with new, newly acquired Chris Randall over there, uh, and they got a lot of guys back, almost everybody back, and uh, they're going to have to carry this this team for the first quarter of the season because regardless of how uh, they assimilate with whether it's uh, J.J. Or, or Dominic or D.D., uh, and, and Joe Pawpaw and Winston October now calling the plays, uh, they're going to take some time to catch up to other offenses around the league that have that continuity. It's just regardless, DJ, there's nothing they can do to um, to catch up that quickly. So you hope the defense and the special teams can can hold their own. Um, and hopefully, you know, after a quarter of a season, half a season, they can uh, make a run 
But uh, I cheer for them, to be honest, because of what's happened. And I think that's a, I don't think that's a good organization that's done things the right way. And uh, I, I mean, I pull for everyone, but I, I definitely I definitely pull for this team and hope uh, it will be a good story because there's, there's a lot of turmoil and, and not from a not from a franchise standpoint, but from just from a in the locker room and coaches and, 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 and personnel standpoint. Uh, they've, they're doing things with a big picture in mind, begin with the end in mind. And that's, they're not going out splashing money at free agents. They're not. Uh, um, they're trying to build within and be smart, and and so they're gonna uh, they're gonna take some bumps here. But uh, if if they can come out on the good end of this, on the right side of this, come playoff time, that's a good story because they have done it the right way. They're doing it with patience. They're promoting within, uh, and they're trying to get the best team they can uh, without overpaying or or, or um, jeopardizing the long-term plan. So I like it. Yeah, and Norrell Thorpe, we're going to have to do it without any defensive draft picks because I think their draft is going to be heavily skewed to replenishing that offensive talent, that offensive depth chart. So you're going to have to do it with the guys you got in terms of Canadians. It, no matter who you think, it's going to go first, second, third. Everyone's an expert at this point. You can let us know who you think is going to go where and why. Predict the pick.cfl.ca. You can log on. Give us your mock for the first round since you think you know. If you do, put your money where your mouth is. We'll give you some money. You can win $1,000 if you predict the first round correctly. That's predictthepick.cfl.ca. Log on, decide which team is taking who where, and you can look at your picks right next to the CFL experts to see where we are alike and where we are different. And listen, nobody is an expert other than God, so don't hate, don't at me when you see my picks online. It is my best guess. Every time you say don't at me, People are going to add me. It's, it's true. But drafting at the best times is a crapshoot. You're just looking at probabilities and trying to mitigate risk. And for that reason, I want to throw something out at you, and I want to hear what you think about it. So there's a couple of economists who have written that no matter the league, in drafts in general, more so in some than others, it's actually advantageous from a mathematical standpoint to trade down as much as possible. And the, the thought process is this. Unless you are arrogant enough to think that straight up you can outdraft everybody else with your allotted picks, it makes sense to trade down, accumulate more picks, and basically have more lottery balls because whether it's the first round, second round, third round, all of these things are gambles. And so you, you cover yourself if you have more cracks at the can, if you will. And so there's going to be teams who are looking at a player who's high on their board, who fall in love with that player, who are willing to risk it all, willing to trade you, pick capital that doesn't make sense to get up and get the player that they like 
And thus, you get more players, more shots at getting a potential influential, influential player or star, but also more shots at having players on your roster who are relatively controlled from a cost perspective because draft picks come in, obviously aren't making as much as guys who have been around the game as much. Does that logic make sense to you? I don't think it does in the CFL draft, no. Because? Because CFL draft is not as, let's just keep it in football, not as deep as the NFL draft in terms of who's going to play for you. In the NFL, a guy in the second round or third round is going to play, usually play a significant role on your roster year one, whether he's a rotation guy uh, or the second round likely to be a starter, third round guy would be, um, you know, likely a rotation guy, could be a starter. In the CFL draft, draft, if you're drafting in the third round, that guy's not going to very rarely, unless he's a, a great talent or really impresses as a uh, as a as a young guy like, like Kwaku Botang, for example, uh, got in his first year in rotation and played played a lot. Uh, very rarely do you get a guy that doesn't go in the first round that's going to play a significant role early. So if you're trading down and getting two fours and a two fours and a three for a one, those two fours and a three are, are not are likely not going to play a, a part in your roster the first couple years, maybe never, whereas your first is almost a guaranteed ratio changing or a ratio to starter. See, I like it actually more in the CFL than the NFL. And Talk here's, to me. Here's why. Because the quarterback is not really a part of the conversation. In the NFL draft, part of the equation is do we have a quarterback? When can we get one? Can this be a franchise guy? that's part of the equation. The other part of the equation is filling out the rest of your roster, addressing your needs, uh, covering yourself in free agency, so on and so forth. The quarterback is not a player in the CFL draft. Not yet, anyways. And so if we're basically just stockpiling assets and talent at all the same positions, especially the ones that really matter in terms of Canadians, offensive line, interior defensive line, wide receiver, I'd rather have a couple threes and a couple fours to see if any of them hit or maybe more than one of them hit where you have one shot at it in, in, with a first-round pick. Is that player a bust? Do they have a significant injury early in their career? Do they go to the NFL? I feel like the actual return on investment of a couple of players who aren't as heralded when they're – 22, 23, 24, makes sense in relation to just betting everything on the one player. But I, I think also, like like any economy, if too many people are doing it, if too many people are trading down, well, then actually the value is moving up and, and getting those premier players. So in a small league that is somewhat copycat, it would depend. The other thing that we've noticed in terms of trending up and trending down when we look at the scouting bureau is there's been some movement in terms of guys who did compete at the evaluation at the combine and guys who didn't so so to give the give the exact of what the scouting bureau bureau entails and how these players have voted they're voted on by the team so 
teams will vote their top 20 players, send those in to the office to uh, football ops, and the football ops will compile at the CFL head office, will compile this list of what is called the scouting bureau. So these are the teams, uh, these are the staffs of the nine CFL teams giving their top 20 players, bringing those compile those all together to come up with the scouting bureau list that you have here, DJ. And you have to take that with a grain of salt. Why? Well, if you're, uh, I'll, I'll ask the question. I'll bring the question back to you. If you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and you love uh, Jonathan Kongbo and you want to take him with the top three pick, are you necessarily going to put him? And you don't think that other people have him ranked that highly because of his injury and because there's some uncertainty there, but you have some information that tells you he'll be ready for the season or he'll be ready early on. Are you going to put Jonathan Congo at number one and, and move his ranking up, or are you going to sandbag a little bit uh, to uh, camouflage you know, the strength of, of, what, uh, of where this guy might be? I don't care about your board. I care about my board. I don't, and I hope your board doesn't look like my board, quite frankly. So in, in terms of incentive, it's tough to get forthright information at this time of year from the teams. It's tough to get honest and true information at this time of year from the agents because the agents are advocating for their clients, but the agents are also looking at the entire landscape and saying, I, I have a couple of receivers. I want to make sure they all go high. So, so they're looking at team needs and trying to play that game on who they give what information to, to whom. How much of information that the media puts out in the, in the CFL is coming from agents, especially when you're looking at a lot of these young players who uh, the fact is a, a lot of the media, Canadian media doesn't know a whole lot about uh, these players. And so information that people are are spewing out often is coming from the agents and uh which is uh, which the agents obviously have agendas uh so i think that we we need to take into consideration and that goes for this as well take into consideration when we read stuff about who's going where and 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 how high somebody is ranked if it's not if it's not uh if 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 it's somebody who doesn't have any interest um, that might conflict with uh, uh, some conflicting interest in the draft, then, then you, can, you can read it. But we'll find out on May 2nd when we look at stuff, DJ, that a lot of these guys that we're seeing, scouting bro uh, rankings and also what we're reading in, in media about where some of these guys go is camouflage. It's not necessarily the way it's going to go. And, and, uh, and I'm very weary on anything that uh, I read as, as we see kind of how the – how the game is played here. If someone's mouth is moving at this time of year, they're lying, basically. Agree. And people think maybe we're being overly cynical. Just put yourself in this headspace. How about factual? It's facts. It's our opinion, but... Aren't our opinions simply the goods? Yes. (laughs) Here's the scenario I want you to, to walk yourself through. So... Wherever your housing joke, market that is. That was a joke, by the way. Don't necessarily think that our, tr- our, truth, our opinion is gospel. There's truth in every joke. Here's the scenario I want you to put yourself in. You're in the housing market in Canada. You're looking to get a 
one plus den or a semi-detached in Vancouver or Toronto or Calgary, and you go in and there's a bunch of bunch of bids on this house. Are you sharing information with other people who are bidding on this house, saying, "Oh, I, I don't know about the, I don't know about the neighbors. You see how they keep their yard? It's going to impact the property value. Ooh, what offer are you going to put in? How much? No, you're not sharing information because you you want to secure that house. And so, similarly, if if you have some property that you really like on on your draft board, you're not sharing information on what you think about it, how high you're willing to go to get it how far you think it may drop or you can get it at greater value, what that player's contract expectations may or may not be, what that player's NFL priorities may or may not be, the chance that that player may go back to school and so you may not get them for another year and a half. All of that information is proprietary. You're not sharing any of that because in this game, information is power. And so similarly, when you go in and make a blind bid on a house, you're not talking to the other people who are doing the tour. You're not talking to other teams and talking to other agents about what your plan is. You're not talking to us in the media about what your true plan is because it doesn't make sense. There's, there's no incentive for you to do that, which is why you should take all of this with a, with a grain Have you ever salt. met a real estate agent that tells you that the market is going down? <laughs> no, no. That's no. A, there's my example. Or I, w- I always say this. I'll ask. I'll ask. I'll ask a, a a a investment guy about real estate and what he feels about a a, a real estate market uh, versus asking a realtor because your investment your investment guy is often going to say the market is uh, soft. It's probably going down. Why is he going to? Why is he saying that? Because he wants you to put money into the markets and into invest with him, whereas the, whereas the real estate guy is going to always say prices are going. I've never met a real estate guy that doesn't. He could be my best friend. I have lots of friends who are agents. I have lots of in the industry. They'll never they'll never say the market's going down. Also, who will never say the market's going down? Someone who is uh, has a large portion of their net worth sunk into real estate in that city. Which is most, which is almost everybody has their money, and I always find that entertaining. That everyone, because that's most people have their their retirement, a big portion of it because of the cities we live in is tied up into real estate. So they'll never ever say, "I think the market's going down. <laughs> My net worth is going to go from X to Y in the next ten years." Right. Anyway, let's uh, talk about some of the move, moves here because well, there was there was some. I think it ties into some of those moves. When you look at guys who were not ranked, who really jumped up in the borough, Malcolm Lee, uh, DB that you really like, he was, he was not ranked, he's jumped 19 uh, spots. Uh, Jesse Gibbon, not ranked, jumped 14 spots. Uh, Braden Linnaeus Dickey jumped 11. Uh, Drew Desjardins jumped 7, and he's a guy who people think may go super early. Uh, Zach Wilkinson, the old lineman, jumped 13 spots. I, there, there were people who were really high on a lot of those guys. They just didn't want to talk about it. But they went to the evaluation camp. They showed out. And now it was somewhat undeniable. And now more people are, are high on them. I, to me, I think that's the difference. You always have guys that you really like that you don't want anybody else to see, anyone else to know about. Because you want to be the one that shocks the other draft rooms. It's like, oh, interesting. That guy, that early? And, and so that's the, really the secret is out on those guys. Those guys were going to be 
first two round, three round picks, now just there's more information on them because, and again, not I'm going to keep it 100. I probably should just keep it 97, but I'll keep 100. Not every not every team is doing their due diligence throughout the year. Talk about staffs that are not necessarily big that are focusing on advanced scouting, and so some people are playing catch up. And I think that's why you see those guys jump out because if you've been paying attention to U Sports over the last four years, you know Malcolm Lee is a dog. That's not that's not nothing new. The other thing we saw was a bunch of guys who didn't compete. Whoa, whoa, drop. whoa, whoa! Let's also let's also talk about your career in scouting. And let's let's hope that for uh, DJ's uh, personnel hat that that there is a lot of smoke screen being smoke screens being sent out because two of the guys that are your highest on oh, on your right. list yeah, that's right. that's have right. dropped in that drop. Curly Giddens Jr. and Robbie Smith have dropped. Uh, Curly Giddens Jr. dropped seven spots, and Robbie Smith dropped three spots. Two of your top guys. So d- to be fair. This might be a great thing for you because these guys on GMs and coaches' lists might be moving up, and it's just it's just smokescreen. Um, let's hope that for your scouting, for your credibility in scouting, let's hope that's the case. I will never cheer for the Golden Hawks more than on draft day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and they're still relatively high. I don't know how, they I don't know how Curly Giddens Juniors can can drop unless it's because of. I guess you know when I look at Curly Giddens dropping seven spots. I would say that's more that's more because of other guys that were unknown yes. moving up the you know the the Linus Dickey he's a receiver I don't want to compare them necessarily but I don't think I think he was relatively unknown yep. because he's not playing in Canada and then Dejarlay Jesse Gibbons these guys who are Zach Wilkinson guys who were all at the combine here's a, here's a message for guys who didn't go to the combine all these guys were at the combine had a chance to show and show and prove and but yeah, because there's nothing I watched as much as I, I didn't have Curly Giddens as my number one guy. We we kind of debated that, but I did have him as a damn good receiver. And and so to, for him to drop seven spots after what he showed at the combine, I think that I don't think that's uh, an indication of him not uh, impressing at the combine. Right. I think just some of the guys they didn't know about maybe for sure and showed out. The other thing people forget about in this process is you don't have to impress. Eight teams or nine teams. You have to impress one. So if if one team really likes you and they pick you early, you've gone early. And so what the cumulative group thinks about you really doesn't matter. It, it's having a couple teams that really like you that are willing to turn in that card for you. You mentioned sending a message. I think a lot of this is also sending a message. And it's to the guys who weren't there or weren't there for a long time. Uh, Jonathan Congo dropped two spots. Alex Fent- Tana dropped five spots. Maurice Simba dropped two spots. Brady Oliveira dropped eight spots. Uh, Alexander Savard dropped 13 spots. Again, this tool is to give an appraisal of these prospects. And certainly, if you're not using an opportunity to get in front of those eyes and make an impression, you're out of sight, out of mind. And that's part of the reason why you would drop. But I also do think that, again, in a situation where the team specifically may not be forthright on how they really feel about a guy. They'll use this exercise to send a message and be like, all right, try not to come to the combine again and see what happens to you. 2020 prospects, take notice. Uh, draft order for the 2019 draft, May 2nd. 
We'll have uh, live on TSN and, and CFL.ca with coverage. Uh, Toronto picks first, Hamilton second, Edmonton third, Winnipeg fourth with a pick they acquired from BC, and fifth in both in the first round, Saskatchewan six, Ottawa seven, Calgary eight, Toronto nine. No, that's not right because uh, Calgary is nine. Pardon me. Calgary nine, Ottawa eight, Sask is seven, and Toronto has the first pick of the second round, and the Montreal Alouettes do not pick until the fifth pick of the second round. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers run this draft for me. They got back-to-back picks in the middle of the first round. Kyle Walters has shown that he really cares about the Canadians on his roster. It's a, it's a point of emphasis for him. And if, if, one, I think the biggest question in all the other draft rooms is where are they going with those two picks? Are they going to be splitting them up, offense, defense? Are they going on the same side of the ball? Could they just say, the, the two best offensive linemen on our board, let's get them? One the interior, two- for sure, they're taking one interior def- offensive lineman. Pardon me. They lost, they, lost two, they lost two starting guards. They're taking one guy from, or two, they lost two starting interior guys. Now, they have replacements. They have Jeff Gray, who will come in at that one right guard spot, uh, most likely, who was uh, signed late in the year, but was a first-round pick the previous year. And then Patrick Newfeld, who started towards the end of the year, but and Michael Couture in the middle. But those, you know, three of those guys, or two of those guys, aren't uh, haven't haven't played started a lot of games. Patrick Newfeld only played towards the end of the season, so three relatively unknowns, uh, guys who are high picks and talented, but relative unknowns. You're going to want to pick at least one of those spots, four and five, where you're going to get a starting interior offensive lineman that could play for 10 years, likely. You're going to want to use one of those picks for sure, maybe both, but one of those picks for sure uh, to have depth uh, in case of injury or in case of just for competition's sake, you're going to want to have one of those. But I could see them, I could see them using pick four and five uh, as uh, interior offensive linemen. As could I, or especially when you look at their roster too, or or even if they want to just kind of cover the bases and go one interior and then and go one tackle that they project as being a, a someone who could be an impact player for a long time, but still using both to address the offensive line, and that's why I say they an re- offensive tackle. Yeah, that's the issue. Is that is is there is there an offensive tackle in the draft that you're willing to pick this high? that you think can can play tackle. That's that's the that's always the issue is if there is a guy that you can play tackle, he's he'll go if you if you're sure a guy can be tackle and be a tackle for 10 years, he'll go first overall. Right. Now you can have four the way the ratio works and as long as the CBA is still the way it is, you're then you have a chance to dress four Canadian offensive linemen if you have a, t- a Canadian tackle. But remember the gift and the curse, DJ and not a lot of people talk about this. It's a detriment to you at times. It can be a detriment to you at times to be a ratio-changing player like a Chris Van Zyl at tackle because if they do, if the team doesn't have or a corner like myself or a running back like Andrew Harris, if a team does not have a backup that is uh, capable at that position as well in, in the Canadian spot, now it messes up your ratio if you happen to get injured. Yep. So if they don't believe, if you don't believe the guy is a for sure, that's the risk of drafting a tackle, an offensive tackle. If you don't, if you're not sure he can play tackle and he doesn't fit into a guard, he's not a guy that can shift down and play guard because he's too too tall or uh, you know something like that. Um, 
that's it's dangerous. It's risky and dangerous. Is how that's how I feel about tackles. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Is you want to make sure that guy is a swing guy, so you can cover you on in a couple different spots. But the reason why I think they run the draft is because you know if there's an offensive lineman that goes ahead of them, which probably will, and then they're focused on the offensive line as well. If you're another team and and you have a lineman that you really like, well. You may not be able to sit and wait. You may have to go up and get that guy before them because you're not sure what's going to be left by the time they get by the time the draft gets to you. And I think that's why figuring out where they're going and who they like is so important for those other teams. That's why I think they, in a way, with those two picks back to back in the middle of the first round, run the draft. And again, that's why. People are not going to be necessarily motivated to give their real honest assessment of these players because this, this time of year is all about information and who likes who and why. I see one team. I'm looking at the top, the top seven picks right now. I'm seeing one team that won't take an offensive lineman. That might, that might not. I'm seeing everyone else taking an O-lineman, an interior, likely an interior O-lineman. I'm seeing one team that I think – might go away from offensive linemen right now. Right. But the, the point is, you don't want to be Team 7. You know what I mean? They may not all take off. They may, they're right. all interested. Right. They may not all take one because the one that they like may not be there when they're is picking. Is there a big difference between a lot, of, a lot of the guys right now? Is there one? That's the one thing about this. But I think, that's, that, I think that answer is different in every room. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, just, I, don't, I don't know from a consensus and you're right. It's going to be a different. That's Dwayne's Dwayne Ford's theory. Is he says you could you could pull a hundred a hundred guys with a you could pull a hundred different guys and you won't find the same the same top nine picks in the draft. Whereas you know, or you won't find guys that have the same the same pick. And that's that's surprising because you could do the top five NFL draft and you're going to have a lot of guys have the same the same order. But the CFL draft, there's so many factors that go into it. Ratio being the biggest thing. Um, it's going to be different. So, another thing that's going to be different this year: tailgating oh. mm. in the province of Ontario. Anyways, where three of the franchises in the CFL live, tailgating, which is obviously big in college football and the NFL, has been against the rules technically in Ontario. That won't be the case anymore. I actually think this is only going to really impact one franchise. Hamilton Tiger Cat fans were like, what do you mean we weren't allowed to tailgate? We've been tailgating. <laughs> we, we, uh, we didn't even know. So nothing's going to change for us. Come park on the lawn. Let's go to the school parking lot. Let's get lit. In Ottawa, the, the way the stadium is situated and with all the commercial and residential areas around there, it's not really... A bunch of space to tailgate. So tailgating, <clears throat> tailgating. Just to be clear, tailgating entails bringing your vehicle or uh, bringing your your setup. Forget the vehicle; it doesn't really go good with uh, with drinking and barbecuing. But having your setup, meaning your barbecue, uh, a cooler, refreshments, bringing bringing those to the stadium. And he being allowed to enjoy those refreshments and food outside before you go in, 
uh, not having to spend money at uh, the bars outside the the venue and be able to gather with your own friends and have your own little party before you go in, which in a lot of places in the CFL, that's right now that's not allowed because of the open liquor laws uh, that they're now going to uh, allow uh, the tailgating to surpass that and, and uh, enjoy enjoy a, a cold beverage in Ontario in the you know before the game. Who do you think listened to a CFL podcast for an hour and didn't know what tailgating was? They may not have known about the Drake lyric about Kobe having to pay for Vanessa Bryant's ring after he allegedly cheated on her, but I think they know what tailgating means. DJ, uh, fair enough. Fair on that. On that note, we just spent five minutes on the draft order. On on that note, I am not going to speak until next week's episode. No, don't do that. I think the only team where this matters is Toronto because they had some soft tailgating. Now they're going to be able to do the real thing. Hopefully, that energizes the fan base once again. Davis is on strike. Didn't put enough respect on your name as a CFL fan. Thought you didn't know what tailgating is. You do know what this podcast is. It's the waggle. Share, like, tweet, comment, favorite. Spread the word. I'm sorry. I love you guys. Holla next week. Signing out. Thank you. Thank you.